and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the business week ended 4th February 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, will 2022 herald more big M&A deals? Novartis's four R&D philosophies? New clinical holds at Gilead? Pfizer recruits new chief development officer from Roche? And Script asks what this year will bring in the markets, competition and business strategy areas. After a relatively quiet 2021, sector analysts agree that 2022 looks set for a major upturn in merger activity, and not least because the 18 biggest pharma players will have amassed around $538 billion to spend by the end of the year. That was the calculation made by Jeffrey Porges, who's senior analyst at SVB Learing, in a note in early December 2021, with Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, AbbVie, Novartis, GlaxoSmithKline and Bristol-Myers Squibb having built up the most, each having anywhere between 30 and $70 billion in cash by year-end. Andrew McConaughey writes that the next tier of companies includes the likes of Moderna, AstraZeneca, Merck & Co and Amgen, which will all have 20 to $30 billion dollars. And that's even before the SVB Lyric analysts factored in the possibility of raising new debt. The total capital at the disposal of the leading 18 major biopharma companies then swells more than threefold to a whopping $1.7 trillion. But also driving a surge in M&A over the next 12 months or more is a coming wave of loss of exclusivity on blockbusters in the 2025 to 2030 period. These include some of the sector's biggest earners, such as BMS's Revlimid and Pfizer's Eliquis in 2026 and Merck & Co's Key Truda in 2028. Until now, CEOs have resisted going down the M&A trail because of a long-standing complaint that most acquisition targets carried too high a valuation. However, biotech stocks have taken a battering since the start of 2022 and are down by as much as 25%, which could create some relative bargains. In his December notes, Porges concluded, as many biopharmas face a looming growth crisis in the 2025 to 2030 timeframe, we expect a substantial portion of this cash to be deployed to external M&A, particularly for more sizable acquisitions of 10 to 50 billion that can still be needle movers in companies of this side and in this period. All eyes are on Pfizer due to its huge financial windfall from COVID vaccines and drugs, while challenged Biogen is also an M&A wildcard, Andrew writes in the article. Novartis expects a big wave of generic competition to wipe out about $9 billion in revenue by 2026, but it also believes that a combination of current growth products and future launches will more than make up for the sales decline. The company's faith that it will maintain a compound annual growth rate of 4% through 2026 relies in part on its confidence in its pipeline, overseen by Global Development Head and Chief Medical Officer John Tsai. Scripps' Mandy Daxon spoke with Tsai about the four philosophies that drive Novartis' R&D choices, including decisions about which external technologies to in-license and which drug candidates to advance through additional stages of development. The pipeline under his watch includes 165 clinical stage assets, including 70 new molecular entities, which are being studied in 500 ongoing trials across five therapeutic areas, cardiology, metabolism and renal, oncology, immunology, neurology and haematology. 
One of the philosophies that we adhere to is that we don't shy away from diseases with the highest evidentiary hurdles, Sight said, and cardiovascular disease is one of those. The second philosophy is that when Novartis has a drug candidate that it believes will advance the science in a disease and shows early signs of efficacy, we go fast and strong into later stage trials and additional indications, he noted. Third is when we have differentiated knowledge and capabilities, we advance those very aggressively, Sai continued. And fourth is the courage to go into areas that have been really intractable for us. In terms of the first philosophy around indications with high evidentiary burdens, many biopharma companies have shifted their attentions away from cardiovascular diseases because of the large, expensive clinical trial programs required. Drugs for cholesterol and hypertension require testing in several thousand patients to show efficacy and must meet a high bar for safety versus highly effective and generally safe low-cost generic drugs. We've actually not shied away from that, Sai said, pointing to Novartis' investment in the newly approved cholesterol-lowering small-interfering RNA drug Lecvio, which is a PCSK9 inhibitor. He cited the twice-yearly injection as an advance because it eliminates the need for patients to take a pill every day. On the opposite end of the R&D spectrum, as an example of Novartis' second R&D philosophy of moving fast and strong when it sees early efficacy, Tsai pointed to LUPSMA617, its radioligand therapy targeting prostate-specific membrane antigen. The company reported positive results in the post-taxane setting of metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer in mid-2021 and an application is now pending at the US FDA. Gilead Sciences is calling off its effort to pursue accelerated approval of magrolimab in myelodysplastic syndrome, while the US FDA has placed partial clinical holds on additional phase 2 trials of the drug in multiple myeloma and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, the company said in its fourth quarter earnings report. Gilead also reached a settlement with GlaxoSmithKline and Vive Healthcare regarding the HIV drug Bictavi, whereby the company will pay GSK and Vive $1.25 billion up front and 3% royalties on US sales of Bictavi and any other drugs containing Bictegravir through 5th October 2027. Alaric Diamond writes that Gilead Chief Medical Officer Murdad Parsev shared the updates about the Magrolimab program during the company's earnings call on 1st February. Gilead was waiting for more mature data before deciding whether to pursue accelerated approval of the product. The 1st February update means that plan is now not moving forward. Our Phase 1b single-arm study in high-risk MDS no longer has a viable path to submission based on regulatory feedback, Parsi said. However, in a same-day note, RBC Capital Markets Analyst Brian Abrahams said the move was unsurprising. Parsi downplayed the significance of the FDA placing partial holds on the DLBCL and multiple myeloma trials, but it nevertheless could erode Magrolimab's lead among CD47 targeting drugs, at least in some indications. I think whenever there's a safety question, the agency is going to err on the side of being cautious, Parsi told the call, noting that the DLBCL study is fully enrolled meaning the partial hold doesn't have much practical impact on that study, while the multiple myeloma study had, at the time, not started enrolling. The company initially said on 25th January that the partial hold only affected trials combining magrolimab with Bristol-Myers-Squibbs-Vidaza, chiefly those in MDS and acute myeloid leukaemia, 
as well as Vidaza combination cohorts in studies of the drug in myeloid malignancies, while other studies remained unaffected. Pfizer has hired Roche Head of Pharma Research and Early Development, William Powell, as its Chief Development Officer, triggering a leadership change within Roche's R&D leadership team. Both companies announced the respective transitions on 1st February, with Powell appointed to succeed Rod McKenzie at Pfizer and Roche board member Hans Cleavers tapped to succeed Powell. Jessica Mell writes that Powell will oversee the Global Product Development Organization at Pfizer, responsible for the clinical development of the US firm's innovative medicines pipeline across therapeutic areas, including inflammation and immunology, internal medicine, hospital, oncology, and rare diseases. He's also responsible for regulatory affairs to support the pipeline and marketed portfolio, and he will join Pfizer's executive leadership team and report to CEO Albert Borla. He joins Pfizer at a time when the company is focused on innovative R&D and has a wealth of cash to spend, helped by the success of its COVID-19 vaccine. The company is expected to be investing internally and externally to refill the pipeline ahead of some patent expirations in the second part of the decade. Powell has worked as head of PRED at Roche since 2018, having joined the Swiss Pharma in 2014. He brings expertise in the field of cancer particularly, and Powell is stepping into the position held by McKenzie, who is retiring after 35 years at Pfizer, where he worked in various R&D positions. Roche simultaneously announced it had tapped Cleavers, who's a member of its board of directors, as a new head of PRED, effective 18th March. Cleavers joined Roche's board in 2019 and is a professor in molecular genetics at the University Utrecht in the Netherlands. The PRED group is one of three independent R&D units within Roche, the other two being Genentech Research and Early Development and Chugai in Japan. Finally, as we enter the third year of the COVID-19 pandemic, the farm industry has begun to adapt and grow around its constraints and opportunities. After the all-hands-on-deck scramble in early 2020, businesses are increasingly able to reroute their energies to other priorities once again. Nevertheless, COVID-19 has shed light on systemic weaknesses that need to be addressed and accelerated shifts towards virtual models of working. Eleanor Malone writes in a wide-ranging infographic article that in terms of growth, COVID-19 therapeutics and vaccines will provide a boost in revenues over the coming years but the industry will still need to find new revenue sources as the current generation of blockbusters heads towards loss of market exclusivity. And with pricing pressures from payers and the increasing availability of health and outcomes data and sophisticated means of interpreting them, proving value will become ever more important. Executives across the industry spoke to Scrip about their hopes and expectations around the business environment for the year to come in areas including market growth, pricing and reimbursement, regulatory, supply chain, production, data, China, and rethinking the organisation. On growth, Pierre Jacquet, who's vice chairman of LEK Consulting's healthcare practice, pointed to the never-ending challenge that big pharma companies face of needing to keep growing their top line, something that is made even more difficult by the impending loss of $150 billion in annual sales due to loss of exclusivity across the industry starting in 2022. When you are trying to grow 40 to 50 billion in top line revenue at a low single digit, 
That means every year finding two to three billion dollars at least of new revenues. These companies have cornered themselves into a scale of revenue growth prospects and loss of exclusivity exposure that will force them to M&A unless they scale down their business through splits or divestiture, Jacquet said. If you keep growing the top line, then the pace of innovation and pipeline replacement need to keep increasing every year, and we all know the R&D productivity of pharma. They are depending more and more on externalisation of R&D, and that's why we expect M&A to be the level of 2021 or more significant than 2021, with 10 to 12 transactions exceeding $1 billion in size, he said. That's all for this time. Thanks as always for listening. And a reminder that these stories in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and form only a fraction of the content published last week by the Global Script team. Log in to access, or if you're not already a subscriber, take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.